Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. So I have three things for the younger listeners, if any of them are left in this room, uh, to be listening for. The first, what's something I think is weird? The second, what did I say to my friend who didn't think that God loved him? And the third, and you're going to need a pencil for this one, how many times do I say the word love? Heads up, it's a lot. Truth be told, says pastor, author, and colleague Mihi Kim Court, love, actual real-life blood, sweat, and tears, love is weird. Jesus knew it. God knows it. And we are the next generations of people trying to live it. When my younger son, Oliver, uh, heard that I had the first line of my sermon, he wanted to hear my hook. And so after I read it to him, he proceeded to explain why this sentence that I thought was brilliant made no sense to him. Mom, he said, if a lot of people have it, it's not really weird. It's also an everyday feeling, which kind of means it's not really weird because you're just feeling it, which makes it feel like it isn't weird. That is truth from a former second grader. Love seems totally natural and normal and just what we do. Except, as I attempted to explain to him, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to where we have to also love the people we don't really like and the people who don't like us, that's a bit weirder. And not only that, but Jesus asks us to put aside our own needs and to make sure that the needs of others are met. That doesn't feel quite as easy or come so naturally. 1 John is a letter that came from the same general community of believers as those who gathered around the Gospel of John. As theologian Sherry Brown writes, this letter came about in that community as it sought to come to terms with its particular understanding of the good news of Christ and God's new covenant in a larger socioeconomic environment. They reflect a slightly different and later theological context where the author or authors thought that the gospel's message needed further clarification and adaptation. This letter, along with the other Jonine epistles, or the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, was likely written a decade or so after the gospel and is trying to address and define the beliefs and practices of the community against turmoil from within. Because as it turns out, The Christian lifestyle and ideals are difficult to live out in the larger Greco-Roman world, one that maintains a variety of beliefs and standards. And so this letter is attempting to unify the community of believers. It's trying to help clarify, to put flesh on Jesus' message and his new commandment to love one another as he has loved them, to recognize the presence of God in their lives and in their relationships as they go about this work of loving the world. Many translations of this passage, including the one we just read, talk about God's love being perfected. Verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. Well, the Greek word being used here is telos, which can be translated as goal. As Brown writes, here love characterizes God. 
The idea that God's love reaches its goal when it creates relationships of love with people and relationships among people. When the love of God finds expression in human love, there the goal is reached. Let me say that again. When the love of God finds expression in human love, there the goal is reached. We find ourselves today at the beginning of Pride Month, a month-long celebration of authenticity, identity, empowerment, pride, and love. It's also a reminder of the cultural and systemic challenges, oppression, injustice, and danger that the LGBTQ community faces daily, both overtly and in more subtle ways. I grew up in a more light Presbyterian church. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that association or term, here comes a brief history of the PCUSA for you. At the General Assembly in 1974, the General Assembly being at that point an annual meeting, at this point it's biannual, a meeting of the denomination made up of pastors and elders from across the country who meet to discuss the policies of the church, the direction and priorities of the church, theology, doctrine, and propose and vote on changes to the Constitution, right, our like guiding document of the denomination. At this gathering in 1974, Reverend David Sint held up a sign saying, is anyone else out there gay? That sign sparked the creation of a group called Presbyterians for Gay Concerns, which later became Presbyterians for Lesbian and Gay Concerns. Then in 1978, there was a ruling that while openly LGBTQ plus people could join and participate in Presbyterian churches, they could not serve an official leadership of the church. They could not be ordained as deacons or elders or ministers. And as the Moralite Presbyterian website describes, several Presbyterian churches took issue with this ruling and declared themselves to be more light churches because there was yet more light to shine forth on the scriptures. These churches formally joined together as the More Light Churches Network in 1992. Several years later, Presbyterians for Lesbian and Gay Concerns and More Light Churches Network merged to form the More Light Presbyterians as a nonprofit organization in 1999. This group has been working for the full inclusion of LGBTQ plus people within our denomination, including advocating to change, to change our denomination's constitution so that it welcomes all those whom God calls into ordination and blesses marriages between two people, not just a man and a woman. Can I get an amen? Fairmount is a more light church, and so we are committed to continuing this work of education, advocacy, and full celebration of all of the children of God. The church I was raised in in Rochester, New York, took a bold stance in support of the LGBTQ ordination, and I understood when I was in high school in the 90s, you know, like way back in the day, that it was God. It was God who called people into ministry and the community who celebrated that calling with ordination. It had nothing, nothing to do with what you loved, except that it had everything to do with who you loved because those who are called to ministry are called to love and serve everyone. 
while I didn't understand all the ins and the outs of church polity and the political struggle within it, when I was in high school, I understood that I came from a more like congregation, and that meant something to me. I was proud of it. I understood that not everyone agreed with that stance, but I didn't yet fully understand how different my religious experience and identity was from that of so many others. I had a close friend in high school who was often ridiculed for being too feminine. As a black boy in the 90s, whose family was part of a very conservative Christian denomination, being gay didn't feel like an option for him. And so while he tried to hide it from himself and others, he was labeled as flaming before he was able to claim that as a term of empowerment. I remember the night that we were on the phone together, and he came out to me, and he talked about the pain and the shame that he was experiencing, knowing that God hated him and that his family would disown him if they knew I'd never been in a conversation like that before. And I remember saying something like, Chris, I love you. And my church teaches that God loves you too. Chris and I never talked about that conversation again, but it's been a milestone marker in my life. And I wish that I could say in the 25 years since I was in that conversation, things have changed so much in the world that I don't ever find myself in those conversations anymore, but that's just not true. And so it continues to be important to put the pride flag above the door to the church and in the sanctuary and to wear it as a stole and earrings and shoes. These actions aren't merely performative. They communicate loud and clear a message of love and solidarity. But our actions can't stop there. We must continue to do things as individuals and a congregation, like March in the Pride Parade, as we did yesterday. Continue to read books about queer theology and quote them in sermons. To show up when asked to stand as witness and protection for a drag brunch or a story hour to make our voices heard by our elected officials that banning people is not acceptable. It's not enough just to read the Bible and ponder the concept that since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. We actually have to do it. One of my father's favorite phrases is, you learn something new every day. I used to hate that phrase, but I have come to love it, and I find myself repeating it in moments such as when our family watches down to watch a nature documentary, because I love learning new things about nature. But learning something new every day also means relearning things you thought you knew, because the world is changing all the time. I had a conversation with Kate not too long ago about this, where we were talking about queer theology and queering the Bible and Jesus as queer. And I had to stop and explain that while I've been an ally since childhood, this terminology is fairly new to me. When I grew up and was coming of age in college and in seminary, the word queer was derogatory and in the process of being reclaimed by the LGBT community. It was not a word that I as an ally would use. It wouldn't have been appropriate for me. But that's changed. In Mihi Kim Court's book, Outside the Lines, How Embracing Queerness Will Transform Your Faith, she explains it this way. 
queerness has undergone numerous challenges and transformations. It began as a way to describe certain expressions of sexuality and gender, and now it includes other markers of identity, such as race, ethnicity, nationality, ability, and more. Yes, it's rooted in matters of gender and sexuality, but queerness is not meant to be exclusionary. She goes on to outline that queerness is an ethic. She writes, it is decidedly an intentional, personal identity, but always a social and political identity that addresses the real world, the everyday, and all the struggles inherent inside and outside a person. It is always an act of protest, a revolt, a demonstration, a rallying around people's humanity and dignity when larger institutions threaten it. It is advocacy, but more than an alliance, it is allyship. That means accompanying people in their journeys through listening, respecting, confronting, standing with, confessing, and being responsible. It means showing up, even if you don't get it, or understand it, or even agree with it. It means addressing all the bodily realities of people who daily are facing erasure and violence in all of its forms. All of these contexts matter to me, she writes, because they mattered to Jesus. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And so the followers of Jesus, many years after his death and resurrection, write down these words that we heard this morning in 1 John. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. Our lives, every little bit of them, the shimmery parts and the embarrassing ones, the beautiful to society and Instagram and Facebook parts, and the ones that need to be reclaimed, they all matter to Jesus. And if they matter to Jesus, they need to matter to us. And so I'm back to saying that real love is weird. It makes us do things we wouldn't have imagined, ponder ideas we would have discounted, care for people the word, world tells us to ignore. It asks us to live on the margins of the page rather than in the middle and to link arms with everyone else that we find there. The dictionary definition of queer is strange or odd from a conventional viewpoint, unusually different. While you may or may not be ready to think about yourself as queer in terms of your sexual identity, following Jesus today in a way that upholds the messages he originally communicated, including loving everyone, working for justice for everyone, and dismantling systems that hold the powerful above those that the culture view as less than, Following Jesus in that way, man, that's pretty strange and odd. And many Christians, and many who can't imagine Christianity can look like that, think it's real weird. For example, many of the people at the Pride Festival yesterday who did a double take when they saw me decked out in rainbows and a clergy collar. But I want to have matter to me what matters to Jesus. 
And so that means that I have both the honor and the difficulty of holding all of these truths and beauty and ugliness and confusion of this world together in a weird package that I carry with me every single moment of my life. And it means that I need a church community full of people who are also carrying this weird package that we can help each other to hold it. And together we can look at it and talk about it and work to change the world so that this little corner of weirdness that we get to hang out in isn't so weird anymore. Mihi ends her book with these words. The church was given to us as a way to care for each other, a way to be a glimmering of heaven on earth and God's kingdom come. The church is meant to be food, meant to be breath, meant to be song. We're called to be together. Being together matters. You matter, I matter, we matter together. Friends, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. May it be so. Alleluia and amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.